Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today we're talking once again with Tom Hale. And Tom is an expert on the Atlantic ICW and also is really an advocate for uh, helping boaters with understanding some of these marine sanitation laws. And that's the topic today, uh, particularly in light of Georgia's new law. I think there's some confusion about what boaters can and that cannot do in terms of discharge. So that's our topic for today. Before we start the discussion, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AJLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau. Curtis Stokes and Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. Tom Hale, welcome back to Great Loop Radio. Why, thank you, Kim. Uh, for those listeners who haven't heard you on the podcast before, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, where you're coming from this morning, because you are always actively out there boating. <laughs> Thanks, Kim. Yeah, I, I grew up in a boatyard. I've designed boats, built boats, run boatyards all my life. And uh, I was the technical vice president of ABYC, which put me in close, uh, made me closely familiar with the laws and regulations that have to do with boating in the United States. Uh, 11 years ago, Christina and I moved aboard a trawler, which we've lived on ever since. And we have cruised uh, 30, over 30, almost 35,000 miles, nautical miles, been up from the Keys to Canada. And as liveaboards, the issue of marine sanitation devices and the compliance with the laws is always on our mind. So um, we're, we're fairly up to speed on what it takes to be in compliance. We get pumped out in 12 states and two Canadian provinces every year. Okay. And you are, I believe, in the Annapolis area today? Today I'm in the Annapolis area. Getting ready for the boat show. Head south, but yep. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yes. Wish, I could, wish I could get there this year. It's a little too close to our fall rendezvous for me to get to Annapolis, so I will have to miss it. But let's, let's go ahead and jump into the discussion on the different types of marine sanitation devices. So there are different types, and the discharge rules for some of them are different than others. So uh, let's start, if you could tell us what those different types are, and you know maybe the pros and cons or pluses and minuses about each of those. Sure. Well, there are three types of devices, and that alone starts the confusion. Because when you use the word device, you think something is going to have pumps and dials and wheels and whatnot. But actually, of the three devices, one device is a holding tank. It's pretty simple. The, the stuff goes into the tank and gets pumped out. That's a type three. There are, so there are three types of marine sanitation devices. Type one is a treatment device, um, electrosan, thermopure, a couple of others are typical of that, and they are permitted for use on boats under 65 feet. They meet the uh, same uh, uh, effluent bacteria count as sewage systems, municipal systems, um, but do not remove uh, nutrients. 
the type two systems are only for vessels, only require the vessels over 65 feet. So we won't spend much time on them today. And then, as I said, type three is the most basic system. It's just a holding tank. So a treatment system in our world is a type one system and a type three marine sanitation device is what's called a holding tank. The issue was first, um, uh, re regulated in, in 1972 with the Clean Water Act. And as of 1978, no vessel could be produced or sold in the United States without a treatment system, which for our class of boats means a type one treatment system or a um, type three holding tank. Okay, so just to make sure it's it's perfectly clear to, uh, you know, even our novice boaters who may be listening. So for the type three, which is the holding tank, uh, those are the ones that you have to go to a marina or some other facility to actually get a pump out, and then they pump the sewage into another big holding tank that gets emptied somewhere along the line or goes directly into the, the city sewer. Um, but that's the type three. Correct. The type three... Um Will you you will be able to find either marinas have a pump out or there are pump out boats in many harbors now, uh, and there are even free pump out docks in a number of places where you just pull up the dock and self service. Yeah, and, and a lot of them are free, but there are in some places charges for pump outs. What does that typically range? And I know there's exceptions to sure. everything, but Great typically, question. what are you paying for a pump out these days? Well, the Clean Water Act of '72 said boats may not discharge any raw, raw untreated sewage into the waters of the United States. The clean, that was the Clean Water Act. The Clean Vessel Act of uh, approximately 1982 provided federal funds to build more pump-out stations. And if you accepted the federal funds, the maximum you were allowed to charge for a pump-out is $5. Now, some places have built their own systems and will charge more, uh, may charge, we've, we've seen it as high as $35, but that's pretty rare. Um, generally, it's $5 or free. And as an aside to cruisers who are getting pumped out for free, please tip the poor guys, gals <laughs> who are pumping because it's not a pleasant job. I have that T-shirt. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, and I actually yeah. heard from a member recently, or, or uh, she made a post along this line, that uh, their previous boat had one large holding tank, um, and they would go get a pump out and pay the $5 or whatever it happened to be. But their new boat actually has three smaller holding tanks. Um, and in some places, they're being charged for three pump outs. So something to think that about. Absolutely, Kim. That is perfectly, uh, that is permitted under the law. Yeah. And if you happen to be in a place which is charging $20 per tank, uh, that's going to be a, a big hit. Yeah, can get that can get super expensive pretty quickly. Yeah. So, um, so that was the type three. The type one are uh, what you mentioned. Uh, you mentioned the Clean Water Act says that you can't discharge untreated sewage. So the type ones are meant to, I'm sorry, yeah, the type ones. Yeah. <laughs> See, there is some confusion on this. The type ones yeah. are meant to treat that sewage so it can be discharged. So uh, tell us a little bit more about that, because I think people think treated sewage and still think it's something horrible. Um, so kind of explain what that means. 
Sure, Kim, that, that's a good point. The yuck factor of people dumping raw sewage into the waters is is obvious. Um, and when landowners and people at the state park see all the boats out there, they don't realize that there are actual treatment systems in these boats that may make the effluent no worse than, uh, you know, to the same level as the municipal sewer, which is dumping perhaps just half a mile away from the state park. Um, if you look at a chart, you can often see where the sewer discharges are. Um, in Brunswick, Georgia, which was the center of our recent issue with the Florida, the, excuse me, the new Georgia laws, there is a big marina with a pump out facility for the boat, but a, about a half a mile upriver is a sewer, sewer outflow for the city of Brunswick and probably uh, Savannah as well, which has a bad history of not treating the sewer, sewage. So my, the, the, the point is the boats are, are not the problem, but it doesn't matter. Uh, we have to try and comply. So the treatment systems will kill the bacteria. They use either heat or chlorine. The chlorine is created uh, with uh, salt water and electricity. And they, they are tested and approved by the U.S. Coast Guard to meet the requirements uh, of, of the Clean Water Act. Okay. So, uh, you know, the, the, the discharge of traded sewage, so to speak, is really no different than what cities are discharging into the waterways from homes and businesses and, and land-based activities. Uh, uh, I wish I could say you're right. There's a couple of little differences. A, the water clarity may be a little bit different. The, the effluent out of a treatment system can have no visible solids, but it may it may make the water a little bit milky in the immediate area. But it's clean. It's mm -hmm. just milky. The other the other issue is it does not remove nutrients. The uh, uh, municipal plants do remove phosphate and nitrogen, or they're supposed to. Um, so there is the concern that all these boats dumping their treated sewage into the waters are increasing the nutrients, which is correct, but it's pretty minimal. For one thing, and this is only a guess, I would say less than 1% of boats on the water today actually have a treatment system. Most boats rely on the uh, and a holding tank. Perhaps in the fleet that's doing the loop, the boats being a, a little bit larger, the number having a treatment system may be higher than 1%, but it's probably the whole fleet of boats in the United States. It's a relatively small number of boats. That said, and it's been a few years since I did the analysis, uh, I've heard it said that the amount of nutrients in one toilet flush from a boat is on the equivalent of one leaf falling in the water. Uh, that's just a something I've heard, but I did do a calculation on how much nitrogen goes into the water with treated effluent and from a typical boat that is used, let us say, 40 nights per year. And 
if I recall correctly, and it's been a number of years since I did it, it's something like four ounces of nitrogen would go into the water from a treated system on a boat over the course of a, a typical annual use. When you think about how much nitrogen is in a bag of lawn fertilizer, it's got as much as 400 boats. Each bag of lawn fertilizer has more nitrogen than 400 boats. And think how many golf courses there are with a view of the water. And you begin to understand that there are many other sources of nitrogen and phosphate in the water that are causing the, uh, uh, which are feeding all the algae, but it's really not the boats. That being said, boats are not perfect. The treatment systems do produce a little bit of uh, nutrients. Um, and that has to be acknowledged at least. Okay. Thank you for explaining that because that helps to clarify it for a lot of people, I think. Uh, one of the things we want to clear up also, because there's some confusion, um, basically all of U.S. waters, you cannot discharge, as we've said, untreated sewage. You have to be three miles offshore. Is that correct? Kim, that is correct. You have to be three miles offshore. And I recently had a discussion with a cruiser coming up this spring from Florida, we met in the Southern Bay, and he doesn't use pump outs because down in the Southern Bay, where the bay is 12 miles wide, I just go out in the middle of the bay. I'm, I'm three miles offshore. Wrong. The three mile line is clearly drawn on charts. And they really do mean three miles, except the Gulf Coast, where it's nine miles. So if you are doing the loop, you really aren't likely uh, to be outside the territorial limit. Uh, you might, when you're crossing from the Big Bend, and you might, if you take an outside hop, uh, say from uh, Charleston to Beaufort, North Carolina, or certainly if you're going outside off of New Jersey, you might well get outside the three-mile limit. And there are places in Rhode Island Sound and Block Island Sound, where you might get outside, but even even the middle of, of a Long Island Sound, which is you know ten miles wide, you're not outside the three mile limit. So essentially, you are never outside. You know, if you're doing the loop, you're never outside the limit, uh, the three mile limit. And we, as full time cruisers, probably are outside the limit three or four, five times in any given year. But we are always pretty much always within the area that's covered by the Clean Water Act. Right. So for all intents and purposes, you can't use the three-mile discharge on the loop. So for all intents and purposes, for the whole correct. loop, you are in an area where you can't discharge untreated sewage. But then we throw in the no-discharge zones. And that, I think, is where there's confusion, because essentially everything is a no-discharge zone for untreated sewage. But what is this... NDZ or no discharge zone that we hear about that adds another layer of regulation? Great question, and certainly the greatest area of concern in this whole topic. Because when anyone, a boater or a landowner, hears of a no discharge zone, they say, Hooray, boats cannot dump their sewage anymore, which it doesn't mean that. that everything is a no discharge of raw sewage. A no-discharge zone merely means that the boats that have paid for an expensive, have paid for and installed an expensive treatment system 
can't even dump that. Uh, and so no discharge zones tend to be easy, easily uh, created, but for the wrong reasons. And it only impacts voters who have already been trying to do the right thing. Yeah, and that, that's so where no it discharge becomes... zones. Yeah, they only apply to people who have the type one treatment system. Right, and those are the people trying to do the right thing. But you know, we hear it frequently, and you kind of alluded to this that uh, non-voters hear this that their lawmakers want to create a no discharge zone, and think that that's going to prevent raw sewage discharge, and, and that's really not the case. Raw sewage discharge is already not allowed. The NDZ, as I said, adds kind of another layer. So tell us what an NDZ that prevents the discharge of treated sewage. Tell us, you know, how those come about. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, 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 I will do that. Um, what will happen is uh, I, will, I have been closely involved in this issue in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Maryland, and peripherally in Florida. Um, the let us let us say the Chester River in Maryland is now a no discharge zone. A state applies to the federal government to create a no discharge zone, and the state has to explain why this particular area needs to be uh, needs to be protected from the effluent of a couple of maybe a hundred boats would already have treatment systems. But here's the thing, Kim. It's very easy to imagine all this sewage coming out of boats. And it's very easy to hear no discharge. Oh, that's going to solve it. But there's very, very, very limited surveys that have actually looked to see how much effluent a boat actually creates. So when, let us say, the Chester River Association wants to have Maryland declare the Chester River a no discharge zone, they have to roll, fall back on um, saying, whereas water recreation is important in the Chester River Basin, and whereas clean water is essential for the, the um, Chester River Basin, and whereas sewage pollution will damage the water quality, making recreation less enjoyable or less possible, Therefore, we must have a no-discharge zone. Notice that nowhere in there did they say boats are the problem, because there is, to my knowledge, no study that's been done uh, showing boats are the problem. Now, I'm not saying boats couldn't be, but we're only talking about the treated boats. So they, I've, I've read a number of these proposals, and none of them can say that boats are the problem. They merely say that clean water is essential, and this is necessary to help ensure we have clean water. Okay, that's the way it is. Uh, the no discharge zones are, are um, proposed by, by states and get approved by the federal government. Now, in order to do it, after making your plea for how important clean water is, you also have to prove that you have enough pump-out stations, and if you don't have enough pump-out stations, you won't be approved for a no-discharge zone. And the, to my knowledge, there's no 
there's no actual criteria that says you must have one pump out per 5,000 boats or one pump out every 12 miles. There is none of that. So I'm not quite sure how they determine it. But again, Kim, this comes back to the question of what does no discharge mean? If you're looking at the number of pump-out stations, they have to handle all the boats in that area because nobody can dump raw sewage. So let's take, uh, uh, I don't know how many registered boats there are in the state of Maryland, but let's, uh, let's pick the, in the Chester River watershed. But let's say there's 400 because there are some marinas. Maybe, maybe there's 500 boats there. Of those 500, 480 of them have to use pump outs all the time anyway because they have a type 3 holding tank. So there's no discharge law only applies to another 20 boats. Do we really have to add pump outs to handle these 20 boats? I don't know. It, it seems odd that we would base the need to base the approval of a no discharge zone on adding pump outs for just a very few boats. So that logically, that doesn't really make sense. On the other hand, it is a tool to encourage more municipalities to put in uh, pump outs. And I say municipalities because uh, there's no law that requires a boatyard, marina, or yacht club to have a pump out. So if a region needs to or wants to increase the number of pump out stations, usually these days, at least, Kim, these days it seems to fall more and more on the municipalities. So although there is not really any, in my mind, demonstrated need to add any more pump out stations because a no discharge zone affects so few boats, it does have the unintended consequence of increasing the number of pump out stations, making it easier for all of us who have type three systems and want to comply with the law. Now, that being said, I also want to say that in writing that article, which I've shared with you on uh, pump out and uh, no discharge zones on the Chesapeake, I spent a day with the river keeper for, Ch for um, Chop Tank and Miles River. Now in Maryland, and I think other states, they have what's called river keepers, which are state employees who are responsible to monitor activities of and the cleanliness of and discharges in river basins. And in spending a day with the Chop Tank and St. Miles, uh, yeah, the Miles River River Keeper, he listed the five top issues of concern to him. And he said, boats are so far down the list, we don't even think about them. They have got municipal sewage problems, you know, they're, they're working from facts. They've got municipal sewage problems. They've got agricultural runoff problems. They've got air pollution problems. They have all sorts of uh, uh, sort. They have in these rivers, they still have houses, houses with the PVC pipe going out the back and into the river. So there are many other much more important issues for the river keepers than a few boats. Uh, so that was kind of that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's kind of eye-opening. perspective on it. Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah. that's kind of eye-opening. Lots of great points in there, too. Um, I think this is a good 
time to take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about where some of these no-discharge zones are on the loop. Be back in a moment. Northport Bay Boatyard is a complete marine service facility located on Grand Traverse Bay in Northport, Michigan. They feature over 85,000 square feet of heated storage, and they are offering loopers a 10% discount on heated storage, as well as a winter labor rate of $75. That's a $10 discount off their usual rate. For more information, visit www.npbby.com or call 231-386-5151. Northport Bay Boatyard is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Tom Hale, and we are talking about marine sanitation systems and no-discharge zones. Tom, we've kind of explained that a true no-discharge zone means no discharge of raw or treated sewage, and that, for all intents and purposes, all of the waters of the loop are a no-discharge zone for raw sewage, untreated sewage. But for places where those that do have um, an electrosand or another device that treats the sewage, where are their no discharge zones along the loop that they need to be aware of? Uh, Kim, to my knowledge, virtually all of the freshwater uh, portions of the loop are no discharge. Uh, certainly, you go up the Hudson, as soon as you, as soon as you go under the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, you're in a no discharge zone up the Hudson, out the Erie Canal, in the Great Lakes, uh, Lake Champlain. That's all a no discharge zone. Uh, and I would and I would assume, therefore, the inland rivers are as well. Beyond that, you have to look at the charts to see what has been declared a no discharge zone and what hasn't. Many of the uh, ports and harbors have been declared no discharge zones. Um, and I will just throw out one uh, recent change, which is not directly on the loop, but if you cruise in New England, all of Vineyard and Nantucket sounds have been declared a no-discharge zone. Not because of all the thousands of boats that are going through there every summer, but because the state-operated ferry system with 200, 300-foot ferries was dumping their effluent into the waters of Vineyard Sound and Nantucket Sound. So you will find different places uh, up and down the coast where there are no discharge zones, and it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with recreational boating at all. Okay, so that's helpful. Um, there are also some places, and I hear this from loopers and I get this question, um, places that if you're boarded and your boat is inspected, you have to have an actu actually have like basically disconnected the ability to uh, discharge into the water. Um, explain that and tell us where that applies. Okay. I can't. <laughs> I've <laughs> okay. been trying to get an answer to that, Kim. Mm -hmm. I, um, we've been up into Lake Champlain. We've been up into Canada. We've heard these stories, but have not been able to find a natural resource officer who could actually confirm that it is the case. We have what's usually handed to me as proof is a flyer that was put together by an environmental group saying, this is how you comply. But there's no actual um, regulatory backup to it. Interesting. So 
I can't say whether that is or is not the case. The Clean Water Act is very specific as to ways you can comply. <clears throat> if you close your overboard discharge and remove the handle, you're in compliance. If you have a Y valve in the system and it is wired with a non-releasable wire tie system like stainless steel wire, you're in compliance. If the macerator pump, which is what you would typically use to empty your tank, is switched by a keyed switch and the keyed switch is not in the switch itself, you're in compliance. You can also get into compliance by literally locking the bathroom door. So those are the ways that you can comply federally. Do states have more specific rules? I've heard that they do. I have not seen it actually written and I've not had any firsthand experience with it. And I've gone out of my way to find uh, natural resource officers and state water cops to find out what I have to do. Well, that's really so, good to know because I've been asked that question frequently. And, you know, that just points to the fact that uh, loopers, by and large, are extremely responsible boaters and really want to do the right thing um, and wouldn't dream of discharging raw sewage but still want to make sure that they're in compliance. Um, so that's that's the reason that I get the question. So hopefully that will get some people's minds My observation ease. is I completely agree with you, Kim, and my observation is that when loopers coming out of the Great Lakes get down to salt water, they get all tense because it can be a lot harder to find a pump out. And they are just so conditioned, and God bless them, they're so conditioned to comply that they can't imagine doing what's called a three-mile cruise and going out and dumping their holding tank um, offshore. It's, uh, it's really, to be, you know, they're to be complimented. Absolutely. We're just about out of time, but we really haven't even touched yet on the state of Georgia, which uh, just recently passed legislation that takes effect in January that essentially makes the state of Georgia or the coastal waters um, a no-discharge zone. And, and they wanted that in place primarily, uh, the reasoning was to protect some shellfish beds. And they are trying to grow that aquaculture industry in the state of Georgia, hence the reason for the no-discharge zone. Um, but this is not a federally mandated no-discharge zone. Do you have any, any thoughts about what's happening there in Georgia, Tom? Uh as far as I know, they're going to have to go through the federal process to, to achieve this. And as I discussed previously, as long as they can say we have enough pump outs, then they can do it. Um, so uh, I, I, it appears from my involvement in that whole discussion this last spring was that the state of Georgia was not even aware of the Clean uh, Clean Water Act requirements for boats or the Clean Vessel Act. So um, they can they can do it, and they may well do it. Uh, but they have to. It, it, it's not a no discharge zone until it's approved by the the uh, federal government. Yeah, um, and it's an interesting issue there. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because in some of my discussions with some of the DNR officials there. Um, 
it sounds as if because it, most of the the Georgia intracoastal waterway is pretty rural area there aren't a lot of pump outs and it sounds like they didn't have enough pump outs for the federal designation. So um, my understanding, which certainly, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a lawyer or a scholar of this, these legislations that are written, but um, my understanding was that it's not a federal no discharge zone, it's a state no discharge zone. So I have no idea what that might mean going forward. Um, you know, I think there's lots of challenges to that particular legislation that go way beyond the no discharge zone. So I think we may see some some changes mm -hmm. to the legislation in the coming session, but that remains well, to be well, seen. Kim, yeah. let me also point out that, that Georgia has presented absolutely no evidence that actually boats have caused any pollution problems in any shellfish beds. That's and I say they correct. haven't without, and I, and I will say this because in a couple of states where they have used that excuse that the water was polluted, therefore they must ban boats, and one was Narragansett Bay, which is a major no-discharge zone. The site of the test was just downstream from a sewer outflow from the city of Providence. Okay, that is that is one of their examples of why they need to ban boats, because they found E. coli bacteria on a shellfish bed near the sewage outflow. A, there was an outbreak of... Um, disease in Louisiana about 12 years ago, and it was from oysters collected on a certain oyster bed. It was not near any recreational boating area. It was not near a sewage outflow. The only boats in the area were the oystermen themselves. So my point is, yes, there can be uh, E. coli bacteria pollution illness is created by it, but it's going to be darn hard to prove it comes from boats. But remember what I, when we discussed how Maryland set up the no discharge zones, like the Chester River, they didn't ever say it came from boats. They said it's necessary to have clean water, therefore we must do this. Um, and the lack of a hard connection to boats was completely, is completely glossed over in, in all cases. So uh, Georgia will probably do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and for those of you who are regular listeners, we've covered uh, that piece of legislation in Georgia, which also put some pretty strict restrictions on anchoring, um, requiring a permit, essentially. Uh, that's off the table right now. DNR has told me that they are not at this time going to proceed with requiring a permit to anchor. Um, at, at this time, they're not moving forward with that piece of it. Um, but it, it's interesting that a, a lot of what's going on in Georgia is being sparked by a few uh, derelict vessels or at risk of being derelict that are liveaboards that haven't moved in quite some time. And part of what the uh, public outcry is, uh, there's apparently reports of having seen them dump buckets of raw sewage overboard or just the assumption that if they haven't moved, they haven't gotten a pump out. And, you know, the bottom line is those people are already in violation of the law because they're discharging untreated sewage. So the new the Kim, no discharge perfect. law that, they're, that they've added in Georgia, you know, isn't really changing that situation. So it's an interesting situation in Georgia. We're still watching it. Um, progress has been made, as I said, because they are not at this time moving forward with the anchoring permits, but it remains to be seen how that happens. And 
with that, I think we'll have to hold it there. Tom Hale, thank you for joining me once again today. It was great talking with you, and thanks for sharing all of that information on sanitation systems. Thank you very much, Kim. It's always my pleasure. Have a great weekend. Thank you, you too, and to our listeners. Thank you for joining us once again on Great Loop Radio. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, safe cruising. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.